Good morning. morning. Kind of had a little bounce to that song. How about y'all? Bump, 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 bump. I saw a couple of y'all bouncing up and down. It was good. I liked it. Welcome this morning. We're starting a new series called Neighbors. Neighbors. And I've got a confession. I want to get this off my chest right out of the gate. I am not a good neighbor. I'm not a good neighbor. At least I haven't been a good neighbor. Um, I know some of their names. I know a little bit about their lives, but I'm not very intimate or involved with my neighbors. Let me back up 11 years ago. 11 years ago when this church was started, it was myself and my wife and our kids and one other couple. And we were meeting in a living room and we said, how are we going to get more people to come? And they were in a neighborhood here in Jefferson, Jefferson Walk, and we lived in Hushton. And we said, well, let's do a block party in one of our neighborhoods. And since we were really focused on Jefferson as kind of the central point for us to start a church, we started in their neighborhood. And we started throwing block parties and meeting their neighbors, inviting them into community and doing life with each other. And we knew each other's, how their, their marriages were going and how, what their kids' names were and what they were involved with. And we began to build community with each other in their neighborhood. And we are here today because God blessed that. Now... We could have easily picked my neighborhood, our neighborhood, 11 years ago, but we didn't. And so for 11 years, I have not been a very good neighbor to my neighbors. And I'm not okay with that anymore. The reason for that is, is we got invited as a church to be a part of a, a bigger thing I'll tell you about later. And they were, we were uh, asked to kind of go to, along this series together. And so I read a book called The Art of Neighboring, and it really blindsided me. I wasn't expecting to get anything good or new or fresh or convicting out of it, and I did. And I want to be a better neighbor. And so my guess is that you might feel the same way, that a lot of us in this room would say, you know, I'm not sure I'm being a great neighbor. So let's just, confession's good for the soul. I can tell I feel better than I did. So I want to just ask, if you would say you're really connected to several of your member of your neighbor neighbors and you know that they're not just their name, but you're really connected to them, raise your hand. I want to know how well connected. We got some. We got a decent a few, but we got a lot that we didn't raise our hands. And so my question this morning is, are we okay with that? What does that say about us? And then probably what it says about us is that we're very busy people. Am I right? We're very busy people and adding something else and meeting our neighbors. It's not that we don't want to have a relationship with them, but we just got so many other things going on. We're not sure we can take on something else. But let me ask you this. Does that lead, let us off the hook? And does that jive with what our faith has to say? So this morning, we're going to look at just a passage that Jesus encountered uh, some people, uh, and he talked about neighbors. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. And let's see what Jesus has to say about what it means to be a good neighbor. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 25, and this is what it says. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, that, that was a bad idea. Let's just go ahead and say, he, he didn't know that Jesus was God in the flesh, that God had become incarnate and become man. And when he stood up to test Jesus, he really had no idea, idea who he was messing with, did he? He didn't know he was asking a question to God, the creator of all things. 
But he asks a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a dumb idea to test Jesus, but he follows that idea up with a great question. Isn't that a great question? In fact, it's probably the most important question we could ever ask is, what must I do? What is required of me? What do I need to have or do or be in order to have uh, heaven and a place in heaven for eternity with God? Would you agree that's probably the most important question we could ask? So he asks a great question. And Jesus, brilliant as he is, he asks, answers a question with a question. <laughs> What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He put the, uh, the ownership back on this man. He says, he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Listen to this. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So he wanted to justify himself. See, he was okay with loving God with all of his heart and with all of his mind and all of his soul. He was good with getting into the scriptures and coming to the temple and offering sacrifices and doing all the religious activity that a good religious person should do. But this loving his neighbor thing, that was a little bit sticky. And so he wasn't sure he was good on that. So he wanted some clarification. In fact, he wanted to kind of define what neighbor meant in a way that would let him off the hook so he wouldn't have to change his behavior, or more importantly, change his heart. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because if, if he could define it as, as people he already knew or people that he could choose, then he could let himself off the hook on this thing about loving his neighbor. Is that right? And so he wants for clarification. And in response to that, Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay, quite a number of us. Let me tell the story. It's the rest of the chapter, almost, of, the book, of uh, Luke chapter 10. And Jesus goes on to illustrate who is a neighbor by telling this story. That there was a man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, which is a, not a very wide uh, path. We were there uh, last March. It's maybe 10 feet wide, and it's winding around mountains. And as a man came around one of those curves, a band of robbers jumped him, beat him, stole from him and stripped him naked and left him for dead. And then a priest who the listeners of this story would have said, oh, a priest, whoa. I mean, that would be like somebody really important and respected uh, you know, uh, they, they served God in the temple and offered sacrifices to the Lord. A priest comes by and sees this broken man, and the, the, the audience is thinking, okay, good, he's going to help. But Jesus said he passes by on the other side. And then he says a Levite comes through, and again, they're thinking, okay, well, good, a Levite. They work in the temple, and they, they help the priest with things. Well, surely he'll be able to help. But he says, he again, this good man passes by. On the other side. Then he says a Samaritan comes along. And as soon as Jesus said Samaritan, everybody, everybody in the crowd said, heard Florida Gator. Sorry. Sorry, Chris, wherever you are. Sorry, man. Everybody was going, Ugh. 
A Samaritan, ooh. But Jesus goes on to say, the Samaritan whom the Jews hated came and picked this man up, bandaged his wound, clothed him, carried him down to Jericho, gave him a place in a hotel, paid for his stay there, and told the innkeeper, and I will come back and check on this man and make sure that he is okay. End of the story. And Jesus says, now you tell me, sir, who was the neighbor to this man? I love the response. You should read it for yourself. He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He says, the one who shows mercy was the neighbor. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And the point of this and what Jesus is illustrating with his story of the good Samaritan is the people that we are to be neighbors to aren't exactly the people that we would want to choose to be our neighbor. We don't get to pick our neighbors. We don't get the right to choose who we should be a good Samaritan kind of neighbor to and who we don't. And what Jesus is illustrating is we need to be available to the people outside of our circle of friends, outside of our circle we're comfortable in, that we need to be, to be open to loving and caring for and ministering to the people that we wouldn't necessarily naturally go to. And that hits home with me. How about you? Because our tendency, like the tendency of the, of the people, the Jewish people, is to want to pick who we will be a good neighbor to. He's tr we're trying to justify ourselves just like they were. I can tell you that as I was reading this book and this passage was being taught in this book, I was beginning under conviction like, Rod, there's something here you need to pay attention to. And I was sort of resistant to it because I didn't want to have to redefine what it meant to be a good neighbor in my life. And so I came up with a couple buts. But God... But God, I will be a neighbor to everybody. Everyone is my neighbor. And that sounded good. That sounds kind of spiritual, doesn't it? The problem with that is if I'm everybody's neighbor and I'm trying to neighbor with everyone, I really won't be anybody's neighbor. Because we can't neighbor everyone. God didn't ask us to neighbor and shepherd and care for and know and get intimate with everybody. But he planted us in a home or a place that we live around certain people. And maybe, just maybe, those are the people we're actually supposed to neighbor. So then I thought, this one. But God, but God. Instead of me having to shift and change and rethink how good of a neighbor I am, maybe my neighbors are the people I run into through the course of my week. Maybe it's the people um, that are on the ball fields, the other parents as we go to ball games and we meet people. Maybe those are my neighbors or the people at the gym that I meet or the people that I bump into in the neighbor in the community. Maybe those are supposed to be my neighbors. And I'll say there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we should be attentive to what God wants to do in those relationships. But, but what if when Jesus said, love your neighbor, what if he actually meant our actual neighbors? The people that live next to us, around us, and on the next street over. This is what really blindsided me. This is what really began to convict me that I needed to change something in my life. 
that God was directing me to actually love my actual neighbors. And so here's your fill in the blank. Loving well, just according to what Jesus said in Luke 10, loving well means we've got to learn to love our, say it with me, neighbors, our actual neighbors. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I be honest with you? I just want to be as transparent as I can be about this with you guys. That is not my first choice of where I want to invest my time. My neighbors. Nothing against my neighbors. I've got a neighbor here today. But it's not my first choice. My first choice for community and being around people and being with each other and knowing people and being for each other and praying for each other and being with you is here. It's in church. It's in a small group. It's knowing you guys in an intimate way. That's my first choice for community. It's, it's y'all. It's this couple small groups that I pop in and out of. And I feel really close to those folks and it meets a need in my life. It's also not my first choice because you can identify with this. After a long day of work, I know, I know some of you doubt I have those, but uh, after a long day of work and you're tired and your emotional energy is spent and your physical energy is spent and you're done for the day and all you think about on the ride home is, man, if I can get my shoes off and my feet up and my belly full, and just cruise on into bedtime. Doesn't that sound good? Let's go do that. I mean, I'm looking forward to that already. <laughs> and I'm not thinking about, but what's happening in my neighbor's life and what's going on down the road and what are the needs that aren't getting met? I'm not even thinking about things, those things. So I've got to be honest with you, being a neighbor to my actual neighbors is not my first choice. And it's probably not your first choice. But what did the Good Samaritan story teach us is that we don't get to pick our neighbors. We don't get to pick our neighbors. I also know what you're thinking, because I thought it. God, I, but God, this is my third but God, the last one. But God, I don't have time for this. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I know you're thinking it. I don't have time for this. None of you walked in here and thought, man, I would love to figure out a few more hours a week that I could spend doing something that I'm not already doing. Did anybody walk in here thinking that this morning? You're a liar. I know you are. <laughs> Nobody did. You don't need another thing. You don't need another thing. So what I'm going to ask you to consider is not add another thing, but to shift to a different thing. And what I mean by that, I, I, I thought of this. There are shows on my DVR. I won't say who recorded them necessarily. But there's things on my DVR that have lived on my DVR for a really long time. And I know they are never going to be watched. And we don't have time. We're never going to get around. And you're thinking about that. I don't have time to get. Your neighbor is like that DVR show or that Netflix series you want to start. But you think, when will I have the time to start that? So let's talk about what could we do to shift our lives towards being a good neighbor. And I'm going to give you three compelling reasons to neighbor. Three compelling reasons that we ought to neighbor. The first reason is we need it. You and I need this. We need to connect with our neighbors because it will actually help us, help you and I. And I'm going to tell you how. 
We will get to find community in maybe the most unlikely place in your brain that we can build relationships and experience love and compassion and care from the people that live near us and enjoy that. I know a guy who, uh, he was going on a business trip and he had a, a pet and he didn't know what to do with it. While he was gone, and so his parents drove 10 hours out of state to come pet sit his pets. Can I tell you, that guy needs a neighbor. That guy needs a neighbor. You and I need neighbors like that. We need to be able to borrow the tools and borrow the sugar and be there for each other. And uh, when somebody needs to just run by your house and make sure it's okay, it's not on fire or whatever, we need what? Neighbors, you guys are getting it. Listen to what the book said. The majority of Christians don't even know the names of most of their neighbors. Ouch. If we're going to be good Samaritan kind of people and good Samaritan kind of neighbors, we need this in our lives. And we've got reasons that we don't, and really what we have is we have assumptions that we don't. They don't have anything in common with us. They don't have time for me in their lives either. They, uh, maybe they won't like us. Maybe they're Bama fans. I mean, who knows, okay? I've already picked on the Gators, so. I'm deflecting from Georgia Tech. Do you see that? Yeah. <laughs> and those assumptions, whatever they are, are keeping us from trying to build genuine relationships with our neighbors, and we keep them at arm's length most of the time. But here's the most why we need this. Being a neighbor to our neighbors will pull you and I, it will pull us out of our little worlds so that we can begin to care for others and not just for our kids, and not just for my spouse, and not just even for my church family or myself. It pulls us away from our narcissistic tendencies that we can be thinking about other people. We need this. Number two, we need the compelling reasons. Our neighbors need this. Our neighbors need us to be a good neighbor. Your neighbor needs someone just like you in their life. They need you in their life. But the truth is, we don't know how they need us because we don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what they're going through. But I can tell you this, I'll promise you, they are either going through something, they just got through something, or they're about to go through something. And as neighbors, if we know what's going on in our lives, we can begin to engage them and support them and even love them when they are, in the basic sense of providing childcare or, or a tool or whatever they need practically, but on a deeper level, that the relationships that we have would support them. And some of them need to know what it means to have a relationship with God. And maybe, just maybe, God has planted us in that neighborhood for that reason also. Listen to what the book said. I thought this was profound. It said this, large gatherings like this, and great programs won't necessarily engage the people in our community who don't know God. But neighboring will. Neighboring will. And that's what we've found here at Crossroads is that relationships are far more effective than any event or program that we can put on. The best thing is relationships are far more effective than programs because there's a personal touch and an ongoing touch that will minister to people long after events and programs are gone. 
See, no matter how many people show up here, and we have a goal to reach 1,000 by 2020. We want 1,000 people in this campus, and maybe there's another campus or another campus. We want to see 1,000 people in worship on Sunday mornings here, and that's an awesome goal. But no matter how many people come and sit and enjoy a service like this, we will have a limited impact of how much we can change our community based on our services inside a building. But there is no limit to the impact we can have on our community as we begin to neighbor our neighbors. Literally thousands upon thousands of people can be touched through this congregation as we learn to neighbor. So think about it just a second. The people that live around you can feel valued, know that they are loved and accepted by God and loved and accepted by you. The ones that are lonely don't have to feel lonely anymore. And the ones that are longing for and looking for a relationship with God can find that because of you and your family. So just stop and think and say, what could your neighborhood look like? What if we all as a church and these other churches that are participating, what would our community look like if we all learned to neighbor each other well? Could you imagine the impact? Now, here's a word of caution. And this, this one got me. He said in the book, it says this. The caution is this. If evangelism is your only motive to neighbor, if it is your only motive, then you won't be a very good neighbor. And I was like, ouch. Preacher man wants to preach. But this is what they mean by that. There's a difference between an ulterior motive and an ultimate motive. An ulterior motive is that I'm going to be a good neighbor for the sole purpose that I will see people come to Christ. And now that's not a bad goal. It's a great goal. But an ultimate motive is I'm going to be a good neighbor. And as a result of that, hopefully people will find a relationship with Christ. But I'm going to be a good neighbor regardless. Do you see the difference? It's the difference like, let me say it this way. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we've been converted. Can I get an amen there? Jesus said what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's been a kind of a, it's just God's timing. Uh, it's a tragedy, but I'm going to tell this story. It's been a crazy week in my neighborhood. And last Saturday, so eight days ago, we were, we're throwing a block party. We threw a block party in our neighborhood yesterday. And eight days ago, we put it on Facebook uh, before that. About eight days ago, I was going around handing out flyers, met a bunch of my neighbors, invited them to come. And uh, I was going down a road, and I got to a certain point, and I was tired. I'd been doing it a while. I wanted to turn back. And so I didn't go all the way down my road, the road behind me. And I went home. Didn't think much about it. I said, well, we'll catch the rest later in the week. Tuesday night, you remember what happened Tuesday night? Huge storms. Huge storms. And in the back of my neighborhood, a man had cuddled his two kids and his wife into the same bed as him. And a tree came crashing through his roof and crushed him and killed him in his bed Tuesday night. Didn't hurt the rest of his family. That man lives on the same street I was going down. With those fires. And my first thought when I heard the sirens going and I saw on social media that there was an entrapment and our family stopped and we began to pray for this man. I didn't even know his name, but we began to pray that God would spare him. My first thought was, why didn't I go further? 
why did it take me 11 years to start to be a good neighbor? And I hate to say the man died instantly in his bed. And our neighbors need us to be good neighbors, guys. Because they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they don't need a sermon preached at them. They need a neighbor that loves them. And that sermon preached by a neighbor who loves them and cares for them will go way better than any sermon any preacher can preach. Our neighbors need this. They need a relationship with Christ. That's why every one of us was created, was to know Christ. Number three, the church needs it. The church needs this. I didn't say our church. I want to make a distinction here. I didn't say our church needs this. What I'm saying is the church needs it. Every single church that you see makes up the church, doesn't it? Think about that. We're a part of a network of of churches and believers that spans the globe. That covers so many areas. I mean, there's still places that are not reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we are part of a movement of literally a billion or two billion followers. And Jesus said, I will build my church. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He didn't say, I'll build your church or your He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I'm going to do something globally, worldwide, that's bigger than any one of you. I'm going to do something big. Well, guys, guess what? This neighbor series that we're doing is a part of that because we've actually joined with eight or nine other churches in Jefferson that are preaching a, a similar kind of series. Uh, we're doing the ribbons thing. If you haven't gotten one of these, get this on the counter on the way out, and you put the, the purple ribbon on your mailbox now, and then on Easter Sunday you put the white one out, and it's a symbolic representation of all the different believers in these churches, and it's literally thousands of believers in Jefferson and the surrounding areas that are working together and learning how to be neighbors in our community. Isn't that awesome? I'm pretty excited about it because think about this. I hear it from you guys over and over again. Why can't churches just work together? Why can't churches just get along why can't we all be on the same team? Well, this thing is exactly that. That seven or eight pastors and their staff and their leaders got together and said, hey, let's act like and let's believe that we actually are on the same team. Let's believe that we are for each other and not against each other. Let's believe that together God can do more through us than he's doing individually. And let's believe that we we're actually working for the same thing for the people in our community to fall in love with God. Isn't that why we're here? At the end of the day, we just want to see a lot of people in our community fall in love with God. So when you and I decide to neighbor, and I know this is a, this is a decision you're probably still wrestling, that's why we're doing two more weeks on this, because this has got to seep into us beyond just a 30-minute pep talk. If we decide to neighbor with our neighbors, we're actually joining a network of a couple thousand other believers in all these other churches that we're going to love our community in such a way that God is lifted up and that God is glorified and that his name will be lifted high. Not Crossroads or any other church gets the glory, but Jesus Christ alone gets the glory. Man, I want to be a part of that. Can I tell you the skeptics? In our, in our community, 
the people that are skeptical about the church, they need to see us doing this. They need to see the church working together. The people that have been burned and hurt by churches, and I've met plenty over 11 years, they need to see that this isn't about us, that we're not self-serving. They need to see churches in our community working together and loving their neighbors well. And the church is not in competition, but in cooperation with each other. So let me ask you, if somebody that you befriend and is a neighbor and you get to know them and, and the light bulb comes on and they start seeking God and desiring God and going to church, but if they go to a different church, is that a win? That's a big win. Can we get excited about that? If they get on a journey to pursue God and find a relationship with God and begin to grow in their faith, would we not get excited about that? Yes, absolutely we will. If we can do this, we'll be on the path to being a good neighbor. We can get on that path, guys. We're going to talk more about this the next couple weeks. I want you to be dreaming this week about what could that look like? What could God do in my community? What could God do through our little family? What could God do in our whole community if we decide to begin to neighbor? And it made me think about seven or eight years ago, this statement that we're doing with the with the with the mailbox ribbons and the neighboring approach, how different and how contrasted it is to seven or eight years ago when I got a letter right before Easter from a local church. I thought, oh, cool. Well, there's, and I think they sent it out to like 10,000 homes. It was a big deal. A lot of people got this letter. And I thought, well, that's cool. They're going to they're gonna do something leading up to Easter to invite people to come or, or to minister to people somehow. And I eagerly opened the letter and I ripped it open and it began to talk about their building plans, and how they would love to get a donation from people in the community. And my heart broke. My heart broke, guys. And my first thought was they just made it a lot harder on every church to come across as authentic and genuine and that we don't want something from you, that we want something for you. We want you to know this God who would love us so much to not only make us but to save us through his son Jesus Christ, that he longs for us and that he doesn't want something from you, he wants something for you. So this, this is different we're just going to love people. We're going to love people. So I got a couple challenges for us, church. The first challenge I want to give you is the one-hour challenge. One-hour challenge. How, how many hours? One-hour <laughs> one challenge. Penny, thank you. If you would be willing to commit to spending one hour hanging out with a neighbor this week, one hour. No agenda, no boxes to check, no things you got to say, nothing you have to invite them to, no, uh, no uh, the, uh, anything other than being a neighbor. That's the challenge this morning. If you would say, I'm going to try this, I'm going to spend one hour getting to know a neighbor or two this week. That's the one hour challenge. Just begin this process in your life. Take a walk and meet your neighbors. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? I met a neighbor going on a walk this week. She's here. It's a one-hour challenge. I got another challenge for you. This is the 10,000 invite challenge. That's a big number, isn't it? Can you give me the slide, Beth? How many of you are on social media of some form? Come on, I want to see your hands. Raise them high. How many are on social media? 
I know you are, Adam. Okay. If you added up the number of friends of the people that just raised your hand, do you think we know 10,000 people on social media? Huh? I think we do. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to make it easy for you to start the conversation of inviting people to Easter by using social media as the beginning point of having that conversation. So here's how you find us on the web. CrossroadsJC.com. That's our website. Everybody know that? Everyone should save that in their favorites bar. You know what I'm talking about? Is that Greek or, you know, favorites bar? Save it as your favorites bar, and you find us on the web. And then there's our Facebook, that Crossroads Jackson County. You go on and like us, and then you also see Twitter and Instagram. Is that right? Instagram? That's how you find us. I don't do Instagram. I do the other two, okay? Leave me alone. My kids do Instagram. All right. You like us. You follow us. You with me? If you want to do that right now, do that right now and, and start connecting with us online like this. And then when we, you need to like our page, then when we post something about Easter or posting announcement, what should you do with it? Like it and share it. And then if you're really bold, what do you tag people? It's like passive aggressive social media, right? I know you're a real heathen. Why don't you, I'm going to tag you for my Easter invite, right? You need this, man. And we begin to invite people and start the conversation. What if we invited 10,000 people to Crossroads for Easter Sunday? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's my challenge. And the other thing we got going on is down the hall here, you used to be um, couches in the little cubby hole there by the counter. We move those out and we put a banner up. And here's what I want you to do. Just take your picture with the banner. It's, it has that go live picture just like that. And what we want you to do is take a picture with yourself or your family or your small group or your buddy or your girlfriends or whatever and take a picture and then what are you going to do? Post it. Post it. Yeah. And say, come check it out on Crossroads on Easter Sunday. You with me? And if you're going to do a selfie, you need really long arms. So get a friend to take the picture. I found that out the hard way. That's the 10,000 invite challenge. This is the beginning of being a good neighbor. We need it. They need it. And, our, and the church needs it, guys. But the last thing I want to tell you is this. We've been talking about loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor. But the very beginning of what Jesus said was good and right and leads to life is that if we would love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength... And the way we get to love God that way is we first recognize how much he's loved us. That's how we find a love for God like that. This all-consuming love for God doesn't just happen. We don't just conjure it up. We love God because he first loved us. And so here's what I want to ask this morning. We can bring the lights down. I just want to ask you, do you know God in a personal relationship? Do you know him in a way in such that he loves you first? Do you know that he loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for payment for your sin? Do you know that he loved you so much that he was willing to go through hell that he could give you heaven? Do you realize that he took the sin and the shame and the condemnation you deserve and he bore that on himself because he loved you so much he wants you to inherit eternal life and enjoy him forever in heaven? 
If you've never experienced the love of God like that, just to know he loves you, you don't have to clean up your life, you don't have to recite verses, you don't have to come to church 10 times. All he asks is that you humble yourself and believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope, that the Son of God came to give you life. Before you can love your neighbor, you have to experience the love of God. And so this morning, if you're ready to step into that relationship with God and know what it means to be loved by him and forgiven by him and start a relationship with him, I want you to to say this to God. I want you to call out on God's name and say, God, I need you and I want to know you. I want to know what it means to be loved by you. I want to know the forgiveness you offer. And I believe in Jesus. I believe that he uh, died for me, that he rose from the dead, that he can give me eternal life. God, we thank you for this amazing love that you've shown. And God, if, if somebody stepped into that amazing love today, and for the first time you've said yes to a relationship with God and, and know now his love, if you would just, without anyone looking around, would you slip your hand up and let us know, hey, I said yes to God today. I wanted to experience his love and forgiveness in my life today. God, we thank you for that amazing love. We really do. And because you so perfectly have loved us, God, I pray for your church today. I pray for myself and my family as we learn how to become neighbors and love our neighbors as ourselves. God, would you bring real, not just conviction, but real practical application to what it means to love our neighbors. God, that we won't just say that we love our neighbors. We won't try to justify our love for neighbors, but we'll actually get off our couch and go meet and talk to and love and engage our neighbors. God, if that's the desire of your heart this morning, if you feel God working in your heart, that you want to be a neighbor to your neighbors, would you slip your hand up and just say, yes, I want to be a neighbor to my neighbors. I want to love them like God's loved me. I'm ready to go across the street and meet them and love them and know them. God, thank you. God, thank you for what you said to them this morning. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.